Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the highly entertaining. How are you doing like that? <laughs> Maybe this is their first time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the highly and I've decided to keep all of that because it was funny. I am Shrimp. Thank you for joining us, and I am joined today by a first timer. Unless you don't listen to these chronologically, in which case, you know, you do you.、Um, here with K8. K8,、mm-hmm. welcome to the show. But thank you. How are you today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, little tired, but. I'm glad to be doing this. Yeah, this guy came down to the wire. I'll keep this this section brief because this really has nothing to do with Zelda. But K8 is a is a friend of mine who comes from、uh, the mythical land of Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and、uh, was was here for a little while, and we met sort of like through our our connections. Like we 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 met at a fr- mutual friend's birthday party or surprise party. But all of that, I'm only pointing out because the reason why we started talking was because you recognized the、uh, tattoo on my left hand. Yes, yeah, it stood out to me immediately. I definitely、yeah. knew <laughs> you were a Zelda fan. <laughs>、yeah. it, it it has been great for that. Anytime I go out in public, I I know where my my fans are, and、um, yeah. I have to remind myself,、uh, shrimp in the future. Get your cards printed so that you can hand that out to people. Because at, at this point in time, all I've been doing is、uh, letting people know, "Hey, add me on Facebook." Because at、uh, some point, there's going to be a Zelda <laughs> podcast, and it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> true, true, true.、Yeah. So, with all that uh, uh, groundwork out of the way, thank you again for、uh, for joining us here. And today, for those of you who, for I don't know how you got to this without reading, but in case you didn't read what the title is. We are going to be talking about the art of Zelda, and not to be confused with、uh, Iza's amazing art series, which is for those of you who don't know, Iza is a really good Smash player, and he puts out like these art of videos. It's like art of Link, art of Samus. So I just wanted to get that out of the way for like the two people that are confused about that. <laughs> aesthetically, and、uh, I'm trying to think of like the audio version of aesthetically, like. Orally, audioly. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, the Zelda series has always taken the aesthetics、uh, quite seriously because they want the game to have a look that looks good at the time, uses the technology that they have in tandem with the art style, and sometimes their technology influences what the art is going to be, and sometimes their art influences the technology. And、uh, what we want to do today is go through all of the、uh, Zelda games up to Breath of the Wild, because unfortunately, this there hasn't nothing I can do. It's I have to make this at some point, right? But you know, <laughs> and just talk about、um, the art styles that were deployed at the time, because the art has changed over the course of the series, and that's something that I've always found、uh, to be one of its、uh, better qualities, is because they are willing to take a chance on their presentation, where other people might expect a game series to have a consistent look that only. Improves technically as opposed to、uh, improves artistically. But before we do that, we have our tradition, the Highland tradition. K eight, you have to tell us how you got into Zelda. Ah,、uh, yes, that is true. I was thinking about this because, yeah, listening to your first show, kind of was hearing other stories of how I got involved. I too was introduced to gaming through another game. So the first game that I played was called Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. It's kind of a random game about a Tasmanian tiger in Australia, where you kind of go around, you collect things, throw your boomerang, whatever. So、mm-hmm. that's kind of like where I got more hardcore into GameCube. 
Um, actually, before that, my brothers did play, I think it was like Nintendo, the original Nintendo. The NES? Yeah. The Nintendo yeah, Entertainment yeah. System. Yeah, yeah. There was a Spider-Man and Venom game. So I played a little bit with my little brother before that, but I didn't really get yeah super into it until the Ty- Tasmanian Tiger game. And then I'm pretty sure close after that, Wind Waker was my first Zelda game that I started playing. And I loved it, got super sucked in. <laughs> I like, yeah, I went so crazy that I made my own like map, the C chart map. Mm-hmm. I would make these like foldable like paper things that you could fold out um, from a square to kind of get information of the like island itself. So played like hours upon hours of gaming, just going to the the whatever, the fish in the sea, getting the information on the like island and tracking it myself, making my own chart. As an artist, I guess that was probably why it felt more natural to make my own, a physical kind of copy where I could keep. Unfortunately, I do not know where this went. I'm mm-hmm. so sad. I looked at my parents' house like when I was there last and I'm like, ha, ah, what did I do with it? But maybe it'll show up sometime, but yeah. So well, that's- I mean, you listened to the first episode, so uh, you know that I know what loss feels like in terms of uh, losing Zelda stuff. Yeah, it's so sad. Honestly, we should like have a grieving process for it because <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that like uh, I don't have uh, I don't have closure, right? Because I don't yeah. know what happened to them, so I can't grieve until I have closure. That's so true. Ah. Uh. That is, yeah. I mean, you can maybe make like a monument thing for it or like a substitute thing to grieve. But yeah, it's not the same. I know that a lot of people before they were really relying on the Internet to guide them along or for people who didn't have the wherewithal to get their hands on a guide. I know that a lot of people would take matters into their own hands and create their own maps, especially like the original NES Zelda, because Mm. it it really... Uh, encourage people to take their time and kind of break down each grid. And I think that grid idea was something they took with them into Wind Waker. It's not the same thing because each grid is one view. And then in order to go to the next grid, we, we have to walk from the end of one into the other and then the grid switches. But in this one, the grids were still there and it was still kind of a way to figure out where things were. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know that that was like a transfer over into Wind Waker. Well, I don't know if like that was like a conscious thing on their part. But it just goes to show that so many of the ideas that they had that were inspired in the original are ideas that they would use whenever it it comes up. Yeah, Yeah. that totally makes sense. That's kind of cool. Yeah, because Breath of the Wild doesn't have a a really much of a grid system. It's just like a provincial system. Yeah, right. Right. So it is, yeah, well, open world map. It makes sense that it's more like that. Huh. I liked the grid format, actually. It was kind of cool to kind of section it off. It is a little bit more feasible. So let's start with the original Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of people listening to this are uh, younger and are lucky enough to essentially be born into a, the online world. And then one thing that I maintain, and I would talk about this not just on this show, but I would talk about this on other shows uh, that I'm involved in, or just really in general, is that I think the world really changed when things went online. And one of the things that what was happening was uh, when we have the Nintendo Entertainment System, the technology at that time was only so good. It was impressive for what it was because nothing that was that good had come before it. Uh, certainly not within home, the home. We could find uh, slightly more impressive games, say, in the arcade because at that time 
they would develop a game specifically for the arcade and they would have a console or a machine specifically for one game. And so they can get a little bit more out of it than uh, say like a Super Nintendo or a Nintendo Entertainment System. All of that, which is to say, when we have a look at the original Legend of Zelda now, it doesn't look very realistic at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we really have to use our imagination. And one of the things that I like to do is I actually like to reimagine it in a way that actually does the piece that does it more justice than less justice. Mm. Uh, one way I like to think of it is almost like now it's like a living board game. Because mm. if I were to take a board game like Risk out of my closet and set it up, these tiny pieces don't have all that much detail either. And then the maps don't have all that much detail either. So what happens is that we have to uh, engage the imagination. And what I find is that looking at um, the NES and the Super Nintendo is that I actually find it more, I, I have more of an appreciation for treating it like their game pieces on a board, as opposed to really trying to like put myself into the shoes of like, you know, projecting ourselves into the avatar and trying to like be a part of that world because it, it clearly doesn't obey the rules of reality. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't sleep. It's clearly a game character. And some games uh, in other series are very open about the fact that they know their game characters. Other game series really try to pretend that they're real people. Yeah. I find Zelda and n really Nintendo, but I find Zelda in particular is kind of in the middle. Like they recognize that they are game characters, but they still try to participate in a believable living world. Yeah. But at the time, what they wanted to do was try to give people a sense of still give people that sense of like, you know, you are this person, you're embodying this. And so all the pr promotional artwork was inspired by the cartoons of the time. Mm -hmm. If we look at the artwork in the, uh, the manuals or promotional artwork that we can find online, it was a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true than the actual game. Yeah. And so what, what do we do is that, well, yeah, as much as we would like the game to look like that, it, we can't. Yeah. So the, yeah. the only thing that we can do is to use our imagination and imagine that the game is playing out the way the artwork wants people to imagine it's being played out. I really like that, actually. I really liked how, yeah, you explained the kind of beauty of that, of how it's pretty simplistic, the older games, but I think it is the puzzles that are, yeah, you're really kind of navigating with. So I really like your analogy of pieces on the mm -hmm. board. I too actually, like, I love the old games. My little brother has kind of, I think maybe because he is more in this generation that is born into like technology that I think he has less patience for it. But I do really appreciate um, the older games and kind of, yeah, and I appreciate that imagination. I think well, as artists, like I think we should be using our brains and imagination. So I think it is a great way and tool to kind of, like you said, use this kind of reference imagery. But then while you're in actually in the game, like let your imagination go with it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, like I think they were pretty advanced in terms of what they even did do with the game. Like the older games, I still think it was really great, even though they didn't have the technology that they wanted to, mm -hmm. yeah, to make it look like what they wanted. But yeah, I still really enjoy them. I think they're great. I think there's also something about like older games that like, yeah, they don't have the technology to it, but then it is kind of where you as the player have to kind of navigate that in frustration. Mm -hmm. But then also I think there's kind of a challenging element to it. So I think that's also why I really love the like old games that are kind of blocky, like mm -hmm. imagery or like whatever. Um, but it's just challenging. We kind of have to work with the controls. And, and I think they, they, they still accomplished so much even with those uh, limitations, because they wanted somebody to explore an entire kingdom of, of, of Hyrule. 
I yeah. mean, before that, and I, and I might do this a couple of times where I'll compare Zelda to the Mario game that came before it, because with Mario, it kind of sets the standard for what they're capable of, and then Zelda tries to set a new standard. Think about the fact that, like, there were so many uh, Nintendo Entertainment System games at the time where, A, there was no exploration, like, at all. Yeah. Uh, we would just have to go from the beginning of the level to the end of the level. Yep. One game that stands out is Metroid, because it was side-scrolling, but there was still, like, a lot to the map, and... Uh, we could go not up and down in the same way we can move you know north and south in Zelda, but we could still move around and have a look at things and t- and take our time. Yeah. But the fact that Nintendo was able to pull off getting an entire you know realm for people to walk around in and, and explore was really quite impressive. Yeah, that's so true. I know that is actually something for sure that they mm-hmm. have always I think kind of had that world where you can explore, and I again really appreciate that freedom to kind of go around and. And I think so going back to what you said about the creators of Zelda, like how they have been quite like adventurous and taking risks. I think like that is probably a benefit of it. This even as an example, right, is like still actually quite advanced for the technology and the time in terms of other games. Like I think in terms of artistry, I think like if you're taking risks, it can really pay off because I think Mm -hmm. you will kind of stand out, right? If you're coming up with a new idea or if you're taking the risk to like invest in it so yeah i totally yeah. agree I think yeah and they've, and they've been taking risks some of which we'll get into as as we go as we go along yeah totally and i know we're talking a little bit more about the the gameplay as well as the art but i mean it all kind of meshes together but i think because uh, players spent so much time trying to complete a zelda game versus the amount of time it might take to complete i don't want to throw out any other games under the bus but <laughs> we understand that like some games they can they could given the skill be beaten within a couple of hours even if somebody is really skilled at uh, combating enemies in zelda they still need to figure out the puzzles they need to still figure out where to go they can spend months on this game and i think that is where that initial investment in the zelda series actually started because we had this game that we were just going to be playing for for a while and so we'll go to um the adventure of link and i think what happened there was I think Nintendo didn't want the players to get burnt out in another adventure that would kind of redo everything that they had to do in the NES ones. I think even to this day, that particular style of gameplay is unique to the original. And Breath of the Wild does some explorations, but they obviously do a lot of stuff that's very different. Yeah. And and I think both of those games kind of are worth playing for different reasons. But so when we get to the adventure of Link, they still went with the cartoon art style. Yeah. Because cartoons were very popular at the time. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're still popular now. But uh, at that time, a lot of people were assuming that a game would have a cartoon to go with it or a cartoon might turn into a game because the two mediums were working together a lot. And a lot of this also has to do with marketing and trying to get products out there as well. But it was very easy to take Mario, for example, and, and cartoonify him. And that made him easier, more recognizable. Yeah. And so what happens in, in uh, The Adventure of Link they did something that no other Zelda game has done since, which is they had a different view for the overworld that they would have for the side-scrolling. Now, that's actually two things in one, because they only ever used side-scrolling a tiny bit in some of the Game Boy games, like Link's Awakening, but the brunt of the game was played in side-scrolling view, which none of the other Zelda games uh, have done to that extent. And then what they did with the overworld is that they panned, they pulled the camera back, And what they wanted to do was give this sense of journey 
where Link is going on a very long trip in order to arrive somewhere, whether that be a dungeon or that be a town. And when Link would come across these enemies, it was almost like this was a stop along the way. And it zoomed into a very key part of the story where he's fighting somebody or he, he found like a little secret or something. So the combat visiting towns or going to dungeons or going to one of those key locations like where uh, Zelda is, uh, is resting where time was kind of moving at a one-to-one with mm-hmm. what the player would do. But when we would go to the overworld, time was like three to one. If we were to relate that to like a side-scrolling view. Yeah, right. And that was the same thing. They wanted They wanted to make sure that the imagination was engaged and they wanted the players to get that sense that Link is really on a journey this time and Hyrule is much bigger than it was before. Yeah. See, that's brilliant. I actually haven't played that game. So to hear that description of it, I'm like, yeah, that's amazing that they're still keeping with the goal, right? I think that's always been the goal of the Zelda series is this adventure. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you want it to be a long kind of challenging adventure, I think, or see that scope because I don't know, you you do kind of get immersed in it. And like you said, it does take a while to get through them. So it's really cool and brilliant that they did that. Yeah, I didn't even know. I can I can imagine in my head, though, I think what you're saying of the side scrolling and then the kind of mm-hmm. screen of the overworld view, because I've yeah, I've only seen kind of one or the other, but together is really cool. Right. And other games tried that, too, because other games are struggling with that same thing is how do we engage the imagination and engaging the imagination is one of the most important things. And we'll actually get to, when we get to some of the later games, engaging the imagination has actually turned into a difficulty. Like the more simplified it is, the more the creative mind is able to kind of fill it in with their own details. And another game series that did this too is the uh, the Final Fantasy series. They would also have that overworld. And then when we would go to town, it would kind of zoom in a little bit or going to a dungeon, it would zoom a little bit, but still be overhead. And then combat was side scrolling, but it wasn't like, the free range movement. It was all menu selection, but it was that same thing. They wanted to give that sense of this part of the journey is a much longer part of the journey. So we're going to condense it by creating the overworld. Yeah. Did Final Fantasy, like which came first? Was it Zelda and then Final Fantasy? Like, did they take ideas of that? Of like, we'd have to look that up. Yeah. Right. I'm curious now because I'm like, hmm, I'm sure Zelda, like, and I know Zelda games have, I'm sure like, set the stage or like definitely inspired other games so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna take a bet and say i think it was nes zelda original final fantasy and then uh, adventure link came after that okay and the reason why i think that is because over the course of the nes they put out three final fantasies Mm -hmm. so i mean they had to get these things out so that's where i think yeah Yeah, wow interesting okay that's cool yeah and then the the cartoon art style Uh, carried on into the Super Nintendo Zelda as well. um, uh, uh, A Link to the Past. Wow, I can't believe I actually stumbled on that one for a second. I have a weird relationship with A Link to the Past because a friend (laughs) bought it for me. Like, I have the cartridge of it. Uh, I don't have a Super Nintendo to play it on, and I've never beaten it. And it's in terms of, like, what Zelda games are really important to beat, A Link to the Past is one of the most important ones. And at that time, what was happening was they were getting a little closer to creating a visual motif that looked like what they wanted it to look like. Characters had a little bit more definition to them. Characters now had, you know, eyes with actual retinas and pupils. <laughs> uh, there's a weird one where Link's hair was pink. Oh, what the heck? Really? Yeah, I have a look at it when you get a chance. But like yeah. Link's hair is like, I don't know. I always thought it was just like a part of his hat or something, but... <laughs> No, his hair was like straight up pink. Oh, wait. I Actually, I think I have seen something about that. People are like, what the heck is going on? That is weird. Yeah. 
Why? I wonder why. Maybe it's like I, I, punk, punk link. <laughs> I, I really don't know because I don't think in the promo artwork they ever uh, had a pink haired, pink haired link. Yeah. Yeah. So even at that time, I mean, Super Nintendo was definitely a step up from the Nintendo Entertainment System. Like they basically doubled the processing power, but it still wasn't enough to try to convey the look that the artwork was conveying. So it was still about that engaging the imagination, but they had a much more clear idea of how they want people to feel when they play Zelda. And just like the, the, it was the first time they used light and dark, which is a visual and gameplay motif that they reuse a lot of the times. Oh, whoa. So that's where it was introduced. Yeah. That was the yeah. first one to do light world, dark world. Oh, okay. Yeah. Again, I, uh, this is kind of, it's true. Link to the past is one game that I've been wanting to play and get my hands on, but I was going to maybe get like Game Boy versions or whatever, um, but I have also not played that yet. So only seen like little clips here and there of Zelda, whatever videos about it. So that's cool. It's cool that that was introduced, the like light dark in that one. Yeah. Well, you and I aren't alone. Like there's also people who may have just started with Breath of the Wild and they need to start working their way back. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel how that's what I did, but with Wind Waker, so a little bit earlier in the game just because of yeah. my Actually, life and age. So, so there's a question there that uh, popped up. I haven't asked it. So you said you, it was your younger brother that got into video games and then pulled you in. That's not usually how I imagine these things work because like my brother was the first to kind of lead the way in terms of like what I would end up liking. Yeah. 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 And then he would go on to do something else and then I continued to like video games, but what was like your first, I guess, impression of uh, watching your little brother play the video games? And like, did you just go like, oh, uh, this looks fun. I'll play. <laughs> or was there any like pushback or anything like that? Oh, that's a really good question. So I'm in between two brothers, actually. So I have an oh, older I brother. Okay. And so he, yeah, he, w- he was the one that kind of set, I think, the stage for video games. But my younger brother was into it more than I was at the time. I was pretty close with my younger brother growing up. So we would usually like play together, whatever, hang out. And so I think it's true. I think it was the like seeing him play it. He was also asking for like games for the GameCube when he was starting to get into it. So I think that also kind of created curiosity in me okay. um, Him asking my mom to like get games. So yeah and then just kind of eventually like played games with him the spider-man one and i think that's where yeah i think like actually playing the game really got me into it because i'm like yeah this is fun like i want to keep doing this (laughs) and you didn't have any trepidation about video games i don't think so i think it was probably and this is true for me like if there's something kind of on the side of my radar i don't it can i have like a pretty neutral view of it i think that was my view of like video games of like oh yeah it's kind of there my brothers are into it whatever but then yeah, when I started hanging out with them and actually played it, then I'm like, oh yeah, I can see why people are into this. Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty sweet. So it's pretty neutral. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, there's a couple of like, um, well, there's uh, there's Link's Awakening, uh, which carried on the same. Uh, the, I mean, it was a Game Boy game, so they did their best they could to make it look as good as a Game Boy game can look. Same problem. The artwork looks like this, the promotional artwork looks like this, and well, the game looks like that. Then we get to the Nintendo 64 era. And this is where things get interesting because now they are capable of rendering an environment and rendering characters that have a chance of looking the way the artwork for the game looks. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And there was a there was a little thing that always kind of irked me, which is if you look at any of the promotional artwork, Link has this belt over his over his chest. Like he's got his he's got his waist belt and then he has like a shoulder belt. Yeah. 
And in the game, it doesn't have it. And I was like, why not? Why, why would they? It's what they wanted him to have. But I guess that was just like one detail too many that they couldn't handle. Yeah. Yeah. And so Nintendo 64, uh, I think, uh, reinvigorated the same challenge that they were having with the Nintendo Entertainment System is they wanted Hyrule to be a big place that we can roam around in. But the Nintendo 64 can only process environments so large. And, you, and, and if we actually were to plug in the Nintendo 64 and play Zelda Ocarina of Time on it, there's performance issues. And as a kid, I didn't notice it. Most kids don't notice it. Yeah. Uh, as an adult, now I do notice it. So it wasn't perfect. Like they, It wasn't able to run as smoothly the entire time as really anybody would want it to. So in spite of that, um, what they were able to pull off was still uh, exceptional. So there's a few few, uh, cool things that they do. Uh, One of them is that um, each environment is uh, rendered so that you can go to the two ends of the environment. So Hyrule Field, for example, has multiple ways that you can go to other places. It acts as a hub world and it's a a big spot. And there are certain things that only load in when we get close to them. This is something that a lot of games do. And you can see you can see Breath of the Wild does this, too, with uh, with creatures or even uh, details in the grass. And uh, they would also do that in some environments where like a character would only come into view, like in Kokiri Forest, like the kids would only come into view up to a certain point. Yeah. But they still wanted to give that sense that Hyrule was a complete realm. And so we could see, say, the mountain in the distance or we can see the town in the distance. And they used uh, two dimensional sprites to convey that it's there. If you want to get to it, you have to pass through this gate so that we can load the new area. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then there was only, uh, I think it's also the only Zelda game, not counting the CDI ones, which, by the way, you know, we will eventually talk about on one of these episodes. <laughs> Maybe for Halloween. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's the only uh, Zelda game where they went with a pre, like any pre-rendered backgrounds. Oh, it's like yeah. like a you know, castle town. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The, there's only like a few games that went with pre-rendered backgrounds for, and for good reason. Like they did in Resident Evil because they wanted the house to look as real as possible for yeah. the purposes of horror. Yeah. But for the purposes of uh, of this, they want. I'm not entirely sure why they went for it because I know that pre-rendered backgrounds take up a lot of space. Uh, I think they wanted to do a pre-rendered background space on the cartridge I'd say. I think what they wanted to do was create this this pre-rendered image that while it took up space on the cartridge it wasn't too hard on the game itself to render because if we were to remove the the Im- the rendered image it would actually just be like a blank 3D environment where mm-hmm. characters are roaming around in so it's like a it's like an illusion where you think we're running around in uh in the 3D space but that image is you know you understand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the reason why they did that was because they wanted the market town to look busy. Like there was a lot of people and that Hyrule is actually a place where there's there's agency to it. And we're not just saving like two people who live out in the corner over there. Right. Because Hyrule in uh, in the original NES is desolate. There's like six old people who are too decrepit to make a run for it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, that's fascinating. As we're talking about time too, a thought came to mind of you talking about this re- pre-rendered like background. I feel like it also kind of stops time in a way. Like when you're in that town, it feels mm-hmm. like since there isn't kind of a live, like there's things coming towards you or you're able to like go into the far off kind of like unknown, that it feels like it's 
I don't know, you know, things kind of slow down. You're yeah, in this space with these people and it's true. Yeah. You kind of get a broader sense of what you're saving or what you're going towards with the castle kind of in the background. But I wonder if it's like yeah. a slowing of time. Um, well, in any uh, area, like in the village or in the ranch or really anywhere where there's like, say, people who have subroutines that are programmed in, uh, time does stop because they can't, they would have to load up the night version of each environment and they they took that issue head on in Majora's Mask, which mm -hmm. continues the art style. Um, so we're talking about Ocarina of Time. We'll, we're talking about Majora's Mask a little bit here. And so when it was switched from day to night, they couldn't just like, oh, oh, it's six o'clock. I got to go. They would quickly go to like a, a, a quick screen where we would just say uh, night of the second day. Uh, my math is terrible. 24 plus 12. 36 hours remain. I yeah, right, 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 right. And that was just enough to switch out all the people so that they now had their night routines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the same issue is that in, with the with the market during the uh, during the nighttime, they you couldn't just stand there and wait for night to pass because there was too much going on. There's no way they could physically physically get all these characters to like move around and then go and go into night. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, what I found uh, interesting about it is that. If we take uh, Breath of the Wild, uh, Breath of the Wild certainly has, a, a, it's a, I think it's the first Zelda game that uh, really goes for when these people have their lives and they're just kind of minding their own business. And uh, if I were to follow somebody around, let's say I can just watch as they like go about their day and their night, uh, because they couldn't do that in Ocarina of Time, um, you're, you actually said something very insightful with the way that time stands still. It technically does that, but it also does that in terms of the uh, story arc. Because mm -hmm. what's happening is uh, Link enters town and these people are just shopping. And it has a sense of like, oh, this is kind of what the market's like every day. But there's still something very special about this day in particular. So even though we, we can exit Hyrule and go through a few day and night cycles and come back, I think it still uh, demonstrates that Hyrule is sort of trapped in this time and place because it's in a it's a it's a time of peace and prosperity they're just kind of going about their routine things are going well no one's complaining about anything but things don't things don't progress so much that we would go into the market town and something would be significantly different yeah yeah, yeah right yeah the player would have to do something and it's and it's a very fascinating concept uh because as players, we have the ability to affect a story or not affect a story. Like we can just leave a story there. And then all those people, even though they're just like little AI characters have like <laughs> no actual agency, <laughs> we can just allow them to live that life for forever. Yeah. yeah. There's like something comforting about that. As we're talking about adventure games, now I'm thinking about it. There is something nice about having these pockets or spaces where there is a consistency, right? There is, yeah, like a kind of dream. Staying consistent while you're kind of off adventuring in this kind of world where there's uncertainty. I like the idea of like these towns and um, these places that seem to yeah, kind of have time still. And like you said, this kind of prosperity and kind of dream world where things are just kind of running mm -hmm. themselves and people are fine. People are like doing great. Like there's a, a comfort to that, which I kind of like, it kind of balances the like constant um, adventuring and like going off and fighting mm -hmm. monsters and whatever, doing puzzles. Yeah. Cause an adventure isn't just go from a point A and then things just get progressively more dangerous. What happens in an adventure is that 
time expands and recedes based off uh, what it is that we need to do, especially when we're watching an adventure film. Like we can have a scene where somebody will walk through town and take care of a lot of things that aren't really relevant to the story. And even though that might have taken a day, we only see like a small window of it versus an action scene that might take 10 minutes and we see every single beat because every single beat is significant. Yeah. Yeah. And so an Ocarina of Time and the Zelda games really try to do this. This is one of the reasons why Ocarina of Time is my favorite is because it, it took that idea of time expanding and receding because they really had to. Right. And there's only so much that they can do artistically or technically. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as the art style goes, uh, some people still want to, uh, they might consider it cartoon, but at that time they'd actually moved into more like a manga anime style, especially if we look at the eyes and the nose of the, of the character designs. It was all closer to manga than anime. Anime is for uh, cartoons, but the art style was was manga. Huh, that's so fascinating. Yeah, I kind of get lost. Like, I kind of lose that in the game. But yeah, I can see what you're saying now with like the eyes and um, yeah. some of the features. And it doesn't surprise me, I guess, right? Being a Japanese game that they would bring that into um, yeah. a Zelda game. Uh, fun fact, there actually is, for those of you who don't know, there is a manga series where they do like a like books of all the Zeldas. So you can check that out. Uh, I have the, I have the Ocarina time when I got it as a gift. Uh, it's quite good. Huh. Uh, it, it shows, uh, it shows how uh, Link is like a, is like a genius savant <laughs> where it's like, you know what? I got this great idea for an ability. Uh, you're not going to just spin around in a circle. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> what in a way? Yeah. And then, and then there's a, like a whole thing in the Ocarina time manga where he just has this story arc this little side story about him developing the spinning sword attack it's, oh my gosh yeah, that's really so sweet yeah. i actually haven't read it either i'm really curious now <laughs> I, I like them a lot so one of the things that's really important about uh, manga and anime uh, i i realize I, i'm calling more manga than anime but because it's in motion i guess we'll just say it's both like it's manga and anime but i like the word manga more so we're going with that <laughs> is that one of the things that makes manga important is that there is a lot of uh, emotional investment in the characters because mangas don't start and stop it's an ongoing series and readers want to be invested in the characters so that they'll read book after book after book that's the business model and because ocarina of time was my first one uh it wasn't just engaging my imagination in how i perceived it to look in my head because i wasn't worried about that i can i was pretty content with how it looked um but what i wasn't content with was how it acted because there's only so much dialogue between Link and any other character. So my imagination was engaged on a character level. Yeah. I'm imagining Link having conversations with people that he's not having. I'm imagining relationships are forming that uh, aren't being formed on screen. Cause there, there's a, there's like one picture where uh, a child Link and a child Zelda are just hanging out in the grass and they're just talking. And it's like, when do they have time to do that exactly? <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, That's actually great. Yeah, I was thinking about that as you're talking about the manga, that that is probably the strength of it, that you're able to kind of imagine more scenes or different scenes with different people or like more of the world. I can definitely, yeah, see what you're saying of the visuals are okay. It's just more of that dialogue. Well, and it sounds like also more like satire or like things that it sounds pretty funny. Like that's actually a, another kind of cool thing that they can add to the manga that I think in this, some of the games, some of the Zelda games I feel like are pretty like serious, especially the ones that are like pretty classic Zelda kind of look of like super adventure quite beautiful imagery. But yeah, it's a little bit more like serious that that's kind of a nice thing of the manga that you can add that in there. The dialogue, I think, adds something. Yeah. And, that, and that's just where investment for, for me came from. It was being able to invest them as characters as opposed to, I think, people 
who are invested in the NES version, they had to use their imagination, not just for the artwork, but also for the character too. So one thing I'm really, I've been really curious to know is if as time goes on and people are introduced to some of the later Zeldas is what level of investment they might have in the series versus people who are invested uh, sooner. Yeah. Like this, it's unfortunate that this is turning into a criticism of Breath of the Wild, but you're part of the family now, you know, everybody gets, everybody gets it. <laughs> uh, it's just that with Breath of the Wild, everything is kind of taken care of. So I'd be really curious to talk to somebody who starts with Breath of the Wild and just kind of get a feel of like, how invested are you in Zelda? How invested are you in this game in particular? Is there enough of a uh, willingness to go and play other ones? So that's something I'll, I'll touch on at a future point in time. All right, so let me set the stage. The GameCube is on its way out. Oh, sorry, it's, it's coming in. It's on its way in. Mm-hmm. And there is a video that I imagine a lot of people listening to this have never seen. Uh, it was there was this uh, convention that uh, Nintendo would put together called Space World, and they had this um, video reel of CG renderings of all of their characters doing things to kind of like excite people for the GameCube. There was a scene where uh, Samus just running down a hall, and then she shoots a thing. Uh, there was a Pokemon one where all the Pokemon are together and they're having a party and <laughs> Meowth is on his guitar. <laughs> and the Zelda one was linking Ganondorf in uh, what I presume to be Ganondorf's castle based off the decor. Uh, Ganondorf is not known for his feng shui. <laughs> and they're having a sword fight and it's intense. And Ganondorf does that uh, thing where he says, come on. And he's just like, I can do it for you, but the listeners can't see. It's like, <laughs> and then... And like runs at him, throws his shield away just to put both his uh, hands on the sword and the and the clash, and it's over. And we're all like, man, we cannot wait to see what the Zelda game is going to be like. And then we get Wind Waker. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! And then we get Wind Waker. It's right. true. It's true. That's fair. That's a fair yeah. argument. It, it didn't take long for me to get on board because I read. Uh, I guess it would be uh, Anuma who said what they really wanted to do was create a, an expressive link who would use his face to communicate his emotions both to the other characters and to the player. And they actually turned that into a, a gameplay mechanic where if Link was noticing something, his eyes would dart towards that thing. And then the player would be like, oh, what's Link looking at? Oh, okay, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, I know there's a lot of debate on Wind Waker and I have to... Whenever like talking or like thinking about Zelda, I think I have to remove the nostalgia like mm-hmm. factor because this is my first game, like Zelda game. So yeah, I have like a like a dear heart for it, but I also understand its weaknesses and mm-hmm. strengths. I think and so. Well, I'm an Ocarina guy, and uh, we get we get schlacked a lot for a lot. <laughs> Yeah, right? Well, and it makes sense. Like, I think each game has their strengths and weaknesses, and that comes with, like, the technology at the time or, like, the concept, the art with it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for sure. Wind Waker is expressive. That's what I think I really like about it. It's Mm -hmm. true. His face is more expressive. Like, it just, there is, I think, more comical, like, scenes because of that. I think that's also why I love it. 
I have like a, I think one of my backgrounds is like Link when he first wakes up in that game. Cause it's just, it's pretty funny. Like he's pretty yeah. sleepy. His face is expressive of like, oh, what the heck? Why am I getting up? But I think that's a strength. Another one is like, it's timeless as well. So like with, I guess, as we're talking about cartoon characters, manga, and this, like uh, some of the older games do age because of technology or like there's new ways to make it look more realistic and realism itself with like, uh, game technology, you, yeah, you're always kind of making the step for the next thing, the new technology to make it even look more real. Mm-hmm. Whereas this has stayed the same for like since it's made, but I think that it still looks great because of the whole cartoony aspect. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. think. Sorry, you go. <laughs> <laughs> so much to say, right? Um, one thing that I, I think really summed up the GameCube is that the Nintendo. It, it just reminds people that Nintendo will subvert your expectations and i think every a lot of the major uh, gamecube releases were an experimental or a subversion on what people thought they were going to get like mario sunshine for example beautiful game very fun but people weren't expecting that they were expecting a continuation of mario 64 and it's just like a lot of people didn't really think about this at the time but like mario 64 still as good as fun to play right it's just that people want they don't just want new but they want a new version of something that they're very familiar with. And Nintendo tries to expand people's minds and say, you know, things don't have to necessarily be that way. Things can be different and, you know, trust us sometimes. We'll, we'll, you'll, you'll thank us as time goes on. And so, yeah, so Metroid Prime, people thought they were going to get a 3D Metroid game and then turn out to be first person. Uh, Mario Sunshine, we already said that. Uh, Luigi's Mansion instead of a Mario release at the beginning. It's like a resident Luigi. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like a resident evil Luigi. I love it. And then Wind Waker is them doing it again, just subverting expectations. And people are like, what is going on? Why are they doing this to us? And then we Nintendo just, sometimes they just don't say anything. They just just trust us on this one, would you? And I, I thought, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Wind Waker is beautiful and it's expressive. And I think it's the first time that the artwork that they made to promote it is on par with the artwork in the game. And so yeah. the imagination is engaged on an equal level. Yeah. And it's the first time that they've uh, successfully done that, in my opinion. And one thing that I find kind of interesting is that I don't think it made for as good uh, as an HD remake as it did as just being a GameCube game. Because one thing I like to remind uh, myself and anybody who uh, trusts my opinion at this point is that these consoles are, are a milestone of time and technology. And... Developers didn't make games on the 64 or the GameCube and think, well, you know, when uh, two console generations later, it'll we'll remake it and it'll be, it'll look better. Maybe they had a level of foresight that I don't have, but I kind of doubt that. I think their challenge was let's look at this game, let's ask ourselves, or sorry, let's look at, let's look at this console, let's ask ourselves what are we capable of, and how do we make the best thing that we can make for this console. And I think the 64 games pull that off. I think the GameCube games pull that off. I think the Wii games uh, pull that off. And what I found is that when they remade uh, Wind Waker, or sometimes it wasn't even a remake, it was just like an HD update, it did visually look a little stronger. The textures were improved. So I would say if people have like never touched Wind Waker ever, and they have a Wii U. It's, it's a hard sell to tell them to go get a GameCube and then go, or even a Wii, and then to play Wind Waker. But um, what I found is that as although the textures improved, the architecture didn't change because the architecture was as limited 
by the console as much as the aesthetics or the color palette or or the rendering. And so if I were to play this, it's very clearly a GameCube game on the Wii U because like look at the islands. There's like a hexagon. Everything's hexagonal. Like the rocks all just have very clear edges. We can see where they were challenged to make as convincing a, a realm as they could on the GameCube. Yeah. Now they were to take that and completely redo the architecture, then the game would be different because now the towns wouldn't need to be the size that they were. The islands wouldn't need to be the size that they were. Everything that they design is based off how good or how big they can make these things. So to put it on the Wii U, it's very clearly like this is not a Wii U game. Because if we were to make a Wii U game, it would look like a disc. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's actually, yeah. I Yeah, and I agree with you as I was looking before this, like the remake, the HD remake of Wind Waker, I was, yeah, kind of had a little bit of aversion to just because it looked quite different. And yeah, I think, I didn't know that about the structure that they couldn't really remake it in the same way, like the uh, structure of the worlds or the architecture and stuff. So mm-hmm. I kind of, <laughs> part of me is like, yeah, that's kind of good. I kind of want it to stay or like, it's kind of a resistance towards the making it look new or whatever. I saw in the, the HD remake that there's kind of this like glow or glade, right. like with the light, right? Some of the beams kind of coming in and yeah, some of the reflections and stuff are added in. And so Again, like if you're going with the cartoony kind of plain color like fields and blocking of the animation and the original Wind Waker, I, yeah, I still kind of like that because it's it feels a little bit more timeless than the HD. So I hear what you're saying, but mm-hmm. I, actually, as you're talking about it, the architecture in the world it is pretty big, and that has been a complaint. And that's true. I think that's where a lot of my time is spent is just like even navigating that world. It was like pretty huge. But mm-hmm. kind of cool that they still made it. I mean, there's lots of roaming space where you can go around and, yeah, run, explore. <laughs> and uh, as far as that uh, art style goes, uh, it's referred to as a cell shading. Uh, some people refer to that game as the uh, as Zelda. <laughs> it, worked out, it worked out pretty well. I love and it. Although it, met, it was met with a lot of resistance at first, I think that that particular art style has been very lovingly embraced by the, the Zelda community at large. And what it's done is that it's established a key art style for Zelda, but not like the art style. Because I don't think there is like the art style for Zelda. I think the whole idea is that they they try to reevaluate the art style whenever possible and just try to put different images together and create different looks. But uh, Wind Waker, oh, sorry, the, yeah, the Wind Waker art style has become like a go-to for them now. Yeah, right? yeah. It's used on the DS. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, so they made two on the DS ones. They made uh, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. And then they created a Force, well, initially Four Swords was a, like a side game that you would get with a Game Boy Advance Link to the Past. But then they made Four Swords again on the GameCube. And the art style was very similar yeah. to, to the cell shading. Yeah. And uh, Toon Link shows up in Smash Brothers now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Replace the replace the young Link. So all in all, you know, any art style that the Zelda series uses is kind of hoping that they're as accepted as the Toon art style because I would expect to see that art style come up again yeah. in in a later game. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 that's true. That's kind of cool. I think like, yeah, as an artist, I can relate to that. Sometimes when you do try something new, like you can actually take it in different avenues. And so it's true. It's You're kind of seeing, I think, with the creators of Zelda using a, a certain type of like art style and kind of um, stretching it more to see what you can do with it or yeah, using it in other games, using different mechan- like mechanics mm-hmm. with it. So yeah, I, I kind of appreciate that, like more of a deeper exploring of something that is new or and across the platforms. But yeah, I agree. There definitely are trends and themes and like repeats kind of of what has been used in the Zelda like series. All right. That brings us to Twilight Princess. Ah, yes. And I have, a, I have an interesting uh, theory on Twilight Princess. I think that if I, if I were to kind of like reevaluate the release structure, what I was wondering is if when they were uh, porting games between like Nintendo 64 and the GameCube, there were a few games that were going to be 64. That they decided to make a GameCube game instead. Uh, Animal, di- sorry, Dinosaur Planet uh, turned into Star Fox Adventures, Dinosaur Planet. Eternal Darkness was a game, was initially a 64 game, and they turned that into a GameCube one. And because GameCube was struggling perception-wise to attract the uh, mature uh, gamers at the time, they wanted to have a pretty good list of like mature games and they did really well they had resident evil they had eternal darkness and what i was thinking is that if they had taken majora's mask and brought that over to the gamecube and made that a gamecube release yeah the whole like okay well this is a 64 game and not a gamecube game applies but at that time i wouldn't have cared nor would i think anybody would have because how beautiful would Majora's Mask look as a gamecube game versus a 64 game and i think that would have also put a lot of people at ease so that way they're not so apprehensive about like the next Zelda game. And because the GameCube was so dark and so quirky, uh, Wind Waker would have been spaced out. And then Wind Waker could have been released closer to the end of the GameCube and be this, well, breath of fresh air. And just, you know, the sun is rising again. We have this beautiful, <laughs> bright, crisp, uh, uh, lovingly painted Zelda game. And then one of two things would have happened to Twilight Princess. One, it wouldn't exist. Or two, it would have just been a Wii release which would have been great for them because it turned out to be a Wii release anyways because Wii isn't a jump up from the GameCube in the same way like the 64 is a jump up from the Super Nintendo. Mm. All of that is to say that I think Twilight Princess is a definitely like a response to what the fans wanted because mm. Nintendo, sometimes they, they, they're the directors, but this is an instance where Nintendo went, okay, They've been through a lot. Let's let's do something. You know, let's do something <laughs> that the fans uh, really, really wanted. Yeah. And and even in that uh, capacity, they still subverted expectations. It turned out to be the dual release where they put it out on the Wii for a start. Uh, it turned out to be much more darker and ethereal than I think even I would have anticipated for a Zelda game. Um, as a baseline, I would call it realistic, but I would prefer to call it surrealistic because mm. it's as realistic as Zelda has ever looked, even to this day, but they kind of wanted to still have that like slightly exaggerated aspect to it. Especially if you look at the character designs, the characters tend to maybe have a bigger set of eyes or they just have a figure that is impossible for a human being to actually have. Yeah. And then of course they have to factor in the Zora and the Gorons and those people also have to 
So it's like a slight exaggeration on reality. Yeah, I love that. I love how you said that it's like surrealist because mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite actually art movements. So coming from like the fine arts background, I think I really appreciate this kind of yeah weird, mysterious kind of world with this like yeah undertone of darkness. I think that is a really cool thing of Twilight Princess. It's definitely edgy and dark. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. I appreciated the two worlds, the like that you can transfer like between kind of right the dark world and then mm-hmm. the normal kind of hyrule world and same with being a wolf like i think even that imagery or that like animal itself has so much of the themes right edgy dark pretty like fierce mm-hmm. uh, and like yeah able to attack like i think yeah it's pretty cool mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time with uh, twilight princess as well I remember. I did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I liked it quite a bit and uh i and i, and I liked their version of uh, of castletown because it was the same idea of what happened in Ocarina of Time, where I could go into Castletown during the day and it's bustling and it's busy. Uh, but what I found was it wasn't the same. If you just pay attention to the music, like the market music in Ocarina of Time is uh, quite happy-go-lucky. And it's just really trying to give the sense of like, you know, Hyrule has fallen on golden times. Whereas I wouldn't say that about Twilight Princess. I would say that it was more like a recession you know, it wasn't totally. it wasn't a depression, but yeah. it was certainly a a a dialing back of the lifestyles of the people. And I think that comes through in the art style as well, because it receded away from fantasy and closer into reality. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Which, again, is really cool. And I think the strength of it, like you said, it kind of, I think, undermined a lot of people or mm-hmm. it, like caught them off guard. And I love that, actually. I love how it's quite realist. Yeah. Kind of hits to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's something I was going to. Oh, right. Uh, this is what I was going to say to your thing of going into the town. It's true. There's kind of like a somber feel to the whole kind of game, even when you're right, like in Hyrule or places that should kind of feel more normal or it's kind of okay. But I guess that kind of plays into the storyline, right? Of there's always this kind of evil that you're working against right. and there is this other world that you're kind of going back in between and you're trying to redeem um, the world's to be something that is like good and beautiful again. But and I love, oh, I love how they brought back um, Epona. So the horse oh, yeah, you can horse. ride around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. quite, yeah, majestic going up over the bridges and stuff. Now I'm like remembering some of the, <laughs> the parts of the games. Yeah. Uh, there's actually one uh, little detail that I uh, forgot to mention that I think kind of is a is a detail that changes from game to game, but it's important in all of them is that the way enemies disappear after they're defeated. Oh, yeah. Like... Because uh, it, it it costs more resources for the game to continue to processing like a dead body, usually the monsters will explode in some way, <laughs> and the way they explode actually says a lot about the art style. Yeah. Like they'll 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 have little fires in Ocarina and Majora's Mask, and then Wind Waker, it's the swirls. Yeah, those are the best. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> love it too. Just yeah. like poof. Yeah, because because uh, that's what makes a game rewarding is that, yeah, it's like the big rewards, like complete in the game. But it's also the little rewards, too, in like um, successfully hitting a monster with the sword. It creates that positive feedback of, oh, I got him. Oh, I, I won that one. And then when they fall, yeah, the explosion is it's pretty. Right. And it's satisfying to hear the little the little pop and then the pretty rupees and items fall out. And and that's the rewarding loop that yeah. uh, that the Zelda games uh, do quite well. Oh, the games do it, too, obviously. But you know, <laughs> this isn't the other games podcast. <laughs> well, I think those things keep you going. Right. Like you said, there is kind of the final victory. But on the way there, if you didn't have all of these like little kind of gems or like beautiful instances, I don't know if I would feel as like persevering with it to Mm -hmm. even get to the end so that's a good point yeah 
Alright, now we're on to uh, Skyward Sword. And artistically, I think this is my favorite. Um, for a couple of reasons. First, uh, fun, fun factoid. Uh, for those of you who might not have picked up on this, but Skyward Sword is developed on the same uh, engine that they developed Twilight Princess on, oh. even though it's separated by uh, Twi uh, Twilight Princess initially was made for the GameCube. Although I suspect that when they started developing on it, they kind of knew that a new console was on the way and that it wasn't going to be like a huge step up in terms of power, but that's a theory. I can't prove that. But what I can prove is that uh, Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess are made on the same engine. And if you don't believe me, if you have Skyward Sword, pull out your sword and then run into, I don't know what the word was, like a gateway or like a, oh, like yeah. a portal that takes you to the other, to a new map. Yeah. And what you will see is the running animation that is the same animation in Twilight Princess when Link has his sword and shield out. And you do not actually, you cannot actually physically have this animation on you at any given times. It only happens when you have your sword and shield out and walk through to load into a new area, which I found kind of surprising because one of my favorite things to do in Zelda games is actually like just run around with my sword and shield out and feel like a badass. <laughs> and the animation for it is there, but because as soon as the sword is out, it's assuming that I'm moving my Wii mode around. Uh, okay. So I never actually get to like, I always just have to run around with him putting the sword out and it's kind of awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't a big fan of that. And it's like the, the animation is there. Like, you know, wait six seconds. If there's yeah. no input, then Link will put a sword down and then he'll just run normally. And then if I move the Wii mode again, okay, now he goes back into his his, his fighter his, his fighter stance. But what do I know about Zelda? <laughs> um, but yeah, so so all of that, that's just like a, a, a fun little uh, little jab at them. But uh, I absolutely loved the the art style for this. Uh, I would you say watercolor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite painterly. I would definitely yeah. say that's yeah. a good way to yeah. describe it. Audrey Drake, who worked for IGN at the time, she uh, referred to it as like a the backgrounds looked like a Monet painting. Ah, uh, yeah, um, that's good. Yeah, impressionistic was also a term that I'd heard a lot. And uh, for me, that first hour, I really thought that they had found their their voice visually mm -hmm. as well as aesthetically. The way they were telling the story in the opening hour and the music that they were using. And the way that they kind of contained the story into this one like floating island for the time being, yeah. it reminded me of what I was saying at the beginning about these are game pieces that have some agency in their game world. Yeah. And I found that to be uh, endearing. And it just like it, it, it brought the idea of this being like a living, breathing world and the idea that this is a game and the game and the characters are like just aware enough and it all kind of like put it together. Yeah. And I thought that was great. And then on a technical level, I thought that using the watercolor technique was a great way to render the environments as far out as they needed to, and then turn the fact that they can't render it as well close up as they can far away, or sorry, that they can't render it far away as they can close up, it actually turned into a feature because looking at like the other side of town, when it's not rendered, it it filters through the watercolor uh, impression and actually looks more beautiful and really brought the look together. So I think, I think it's an achievement for uh, Nintendo in terms of art style. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And now that we're talking about it, like I haven't played it in a while, but when I did play it, it was quite an enjoyable experience. And I think probably because of the art was just so yeah, great. And I think it's true with the watercolor uh, technique it, with the like sky like worlds. I think that is a really great pairing too. Cause I mean, it just seems like a perfect technique to render that in a really beautiful kind of wispy, like, yeah, mysterious still. Cause you don't, can't really see into the clouds. You can't really see far in front of you, but 
yeah so i think that is really quite brilliant yeah and i enjoyed playing it it's true the wii controls were a little like i think uh, stringent or like for there's quite a bit of emphasis on it i think yeah. and so you kind of had to well, the, well, the trouble it. is um, to commit to the control scheme like that, it has got to work 100% of the time and it didn't. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Me and 96% of the time, maybe like at the worst, I would say 89% of the time. Yeah. But there was only one percentage that was acceptable and that was 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. But I don't think that was enough for me to be like, oh, this game like, yeah, is horrible or whatever. Like I said, I had a really enjoy- enjoyable experience. Yeah, I want to play it again, but mm-hmm. I just realized I was thinking about it. My friend has it in Edmonton, so I'm going to have to like bug him about it. I want to play it again. But and we still have postage. We still have mail. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I there were there were so many things that I liked about it because um, the thing is about playing through like the 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 areas is that it, I think as far as I know, it's the only Zelda game where if you see something that you would like to go to, you can't. Yeah. Whereas every other Zelda game made it pretty clear that if you see something, you can go visit it and try not to show the player something that they couldn't see, sorry, that they couldn't go to. Whereas Skyward Sword, unfortunately, uh, they couldn't do that. So that's, that's where they were able to excel visually because they knew, okay, well, people aren't going to go here. So the least we can do is make it part of the presentation, make it look beautiful, but that's the best that we have, the best that we can offer the player. So as a, as an experience, I think uh, Skyward Sword is amazing to play through and it covers a lot of the groundwork of like the origins of where things started moving into place. It doesn't satisfy all the things that a Zelda game typically satisfies. It definitely creates like its own, uh, its own niche in terms of like what it set out to accomplish. I'm not saying don't play it. I, I loved it and I would yeah. still play it. Yeah, but, totally. Uh, yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, Nintendo really makes sure that each Zelda game they come out with brings something new to the table, offers up a new new objectives. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, too, looking at the grand scheme of the game. So we just talked about Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and now Skyward Sword. I feel like uh, Twilight Princess is sandwiched in between two games that are quite light. Like, mm-hmm. Skyward Sword felt quite light and, yeah, like, beautiful and kind of carefree. Um, even just, like, physically, like, you're usually, like riding around on a bird right in the clouds so that feels pretty light and then i agree like the wind waker game is quite like funny it's like good imagery that's like pretty happy and Mm -hmm. like makes you feel good and so it's interesting that it feels like twilight princess which is quite dark is sandwiched in between these two games that are quite light yeah that's actually a a good point uh because i think they they kind of maybe had a pattern going because ocarina of time is i'd say more light yeah. Majora's Mask is yeah. definitely the dark one. <laughs> yeah. So, and then Wind Waker is light, Sky, uh, Twilight Princess, dark, Skyward Sword, light. And then Breath of the Wild, definitely light. Okay. Like it's hard not to call that one light when the color palette is so is so vast and varied. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they had it. They, they kind of had a thing going with it, but uh, this is a prediction. Um, but I'm, I, I'm thinking that the next Zelda game will play like breath of the wild like it'll use the same engine and it'll use that verticality but it might be a darker game this time around that would be so sweet yeah Yeah, i kind of like that balance of the light and dark i think it shows two aspects of the zelda games right that are kind of there and have a potential of both those things and so to kind of explore them in different games at different times is cool yeah you actually uh, um made me realize something that i didn't really think about before but like they use light and dark within the games and then the idea of light and dark is also a macro 
motif where the Zelda series is characterized by this conflict between light Hyrule and dark Hyrules. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's brilliant. I also didn't see that. That's really cool. I love that. I love it when things are micro macro, right? Like you kind of right. hit all of the ways of seeing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah, we haven't uh, touched on uh, something that came out uh, between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild, which is a link between worlds. Uh. And the art style on that one is interesting because they wanted to go. They wanted to really look like I think the way they wanted the Super Nintendo Zelda to look like, if they can make it look any way they wanted to. Uh, in terms of the promotional artwork, I would I would consider it like an oil pastel. Yeah, that's a good description. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. I love oil pastels. Uh, and then of course there's like the stuff on the wall. So they were, I think they were going for like a chalk feel for that. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, I actually really liked that game. I recently have played it. That's probably the last like Zelda game that I have beaten mm -hmm. in the last little while. I yeah, I think art wise that's totally true. That's a really good description of it. I really enjoyed it. I thought the so this is kind of going more into gameplay, but I really liked that aspect of like this kind of wall drawing that you can turn into and gives you more kind of versatile mm -hmm. like ways to get around things. Um, yeah, and I liked the drawings and how you can kind of um, go in between that. And actually, I think there's quite a big art element in it. So there's these paintings that these enemies kind of come from or you can go into. And so I actually felt like it was really related to, um, I guess, fine arts in the sense of a painting on like a canvas or like, yeah, a painting right. kind of up in a castle or something. Yeah, I mean, because uh, we have a mutual appreciation uh, of art and of paintings. And, you know, the objective is to... I mean, there's plenty of objectives, I'm sure, but one of them is to just give this sense of like a different world for a moment. And it was a, it was a similar motif that they had used not in a Zelda game, but in the Mario game, Mario 64, where, you know, people, they look at the paintings and they see a world that maybe they're terrified of, or they see a world that they want to be a part of, or they want to explore for a little bit and it engages the imagination. And so in, in, in Mario, he regardless of whether or not it terrifies him or it it uh it excites him he he's he jumps into it and and i think they took that idea a little bit because they don't just take ideas from zelda they take ideas from anywhere yeah and i think that they took that idea and they provided it a little bit into a link between worlds and that it's it's kind of interesting to be in a fantasy realm that we project ourselves into and then want to project ourselves into the fantasy realm within the fantasy realm and where where you end up with is a dark world. Yeah, totally. Whoa, that's like yeah, pretty inceptiony but totally true. <laughs> like the kind of process or the keep on like all of those windows or all of those worlds kind of progressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And again, like I think it's another thing that is true to the Zelda game. So even as we're talking about Twilight Princess, like there is these kind of two worlds that you're straddling between the kind of dark and then the more, uh, I guess, light or happy. So I can see that, yeah, in this game as well, mm -hmm. kind of straddling those worlds through paintings, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, one quick thing about Twilight Princess is that the, the dark world motif in that uh, or is the is the Twilight Realm, mm. and I'm kind of like blanking on like what's the opposite of Twilight because you have you have morning, you have night, yeah, and then you have like that that the time between sundown and moon up is Twilight, and then there's like a little dusk or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so dawn. I would say dawn, yeah, the dawn world or something like that. So yeah, not because dusk is the other one. So I think whereas other games will just use like you know light and dark. I think that when they, instead of being like a binary left to right, they went with like two diagonal yeah. instances of it. So they went with a dawn world and, yeah. uh, and a twilight world. That's true. As opposed to like a pure light and a pure dark. 
yeah so then kind of melding the two i guess right yeah. instead of having that yeah using straight. elements of light and dark in both of them because the twilight realm isn't evil per se yeah there are people who live in the twilight realm yeah. that they're not necessarily good people or bad people just as people in the uh, uh hyrule are not necessarily good people or bad people but there's there's definitely more of a blend of all of that yeah that's a good point yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of middle ground okay how are we doing okay all right i'm gonna do breath of the wild and i'm gonna wrap up all right uh last one and uh I, I, I've alluded to Breath of the Wild a number of times. I kept saying we're going to get to it, so we're here. Uh, Breath of the Wild, I think, in a game... I know you've only played as much of it as I've been able to bring my Wii U over so that you can try it out. Yes. Um, so I'll be careful not to spoil too much for you. But <laughs> you. Breath of the Wild, you're welcome, is a combination of everything that they've learned about Zelda into one game. It's a combination in terms of timeline because it's weird. There's like the Temple of Time from Ocarina of Time is over here. And then there's like a dragon from like another one, like bones over here. People are confused. They're not exactly sure what happened exactly. Like if timelines actually started like colliding and meshing together. So there's that. There is the reevaluation of all the things that made Zeldas. So there is problem solving and lateral thinking. And then there's combat and there's adventuring. And they bring all of that in together. And I think artistically, it was the same thing. It has uh, a hint of realism. It has a hit, more than a hint, but a, a pretty healthy a helping of the cartoon and the cell shading that they've uh, made great use of for such a long time. And that's definitely like the, the crux of it. And it was also, I think, out of necessity because they wanted to render a big open world. And so in order to do that, they can't make it as realistic as, like if it would look like Twilight Princess art style, they wouldn't be able to pull it off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely think Breath of, the, Breath of the, like the art style of Breath of the Wild doesn't like blow me away or anything. I think it's great. I think it looks beautiful. And it's definitely like Nintendo really uh, firing on all cylinders and they got the art style. The, yeah, they, they got the art style that is like, if we were to take all the other art styles, put them into a blender, this is what would come out. Yeah, which totally makes sense. Like you said, with the game and the mechanics, like sometimes you can't just go hardcore into a certain style that you want to do, right? Just because of other things in the game that, that you want to do. So whether you want it to be yeah, more of the storyline or more of the mechanics or kind of what you're going for, I can understand why it feels a little bit more like a blender mix of mm -hmm. all of the things that they learned or done in the games because maybe they just didn't want to focus on it or there wasn't a, like a, a for sure style that they wanted to focus on. This actually, and it makes sense too, I think like as they're making different things, they're making different games, styles, gameplay, whatever, mm -hmm. um, to kind of make a game where they can combine all the good, like the kind of cream of the crop. I think mm -hmm. like that's brilliant, right? Because then you kind of do have this really well-balanced game. And I would say like Breath of the Wild feels like a mature game. I don't know that for some reason that word came to me of like to describe it. I, I think it shows that Nintendo has matured as game designers because they... So in a lot of ways, they were teachers, but so many other developers came up with so many great ideas that Nintendo took some time to do some learning now. And when they learn, they learn. Right? And so they come back and now they're the masters again. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's actually really cool and joyful to see, right? Like when things start to set and like you said, when there's learning, I think that's great. Once you're more aware of like what you're doing and what like art style or gameplay is doing for the audience or like the fans and the players, like mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant. If you have more awareness of that, then yeah, you can tap into that and totally have way more control of games in future. And yeah, Breath of the Wild seems like a start of that or 
So I've already predicted the next art style I think they're going to go for. If you want to make a prediction, I'll give you a chance. Ooh, oh, that's a good question and perspective. I'm not sure. This one was kind of a surprise, the open world, mm -hmm. I think, because they have been consistently with the like adventure kind of realism or the cartoony kind of style. And yeah, now as we're talking about like bringing elements of all their games together, I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do. I wonder if they might stay with that. Like, I wonder if they might stay with this kind of well-balanced game with all of these things that they're learning over the series and do something with it. So kind of like you said, going into a dark, maybe wrong, like more darker game with the Breath of the Wild kind of style. I wonder if they'll continue to investigate this like balance of all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only thing I really have in terms of prospect. I like your thing of it being maybe dark. I like how they were kind of um, going back and forth between dark and light for a while. And so it might go that way again, but they might explore more of the open world too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Um, well, my one thing is that I think they're actually going to dial the size of Hyrule back and ah. turn it into, I think it would be more about verticality and less about horizontality. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That's true. Whoa. Mixing like a air kind of case. Okay, so kind of like a skyward sword cloud kind of air floaty world with like a grounded. Yeah. And then like as, as high as Link can go upwards, you might also be able to like go that way downwards. So yeah. maybe into like subterranean levels now. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Subterranean. That'd be cool. Right on. All right. Um, we are going to wrap up because, uh, well, this has been great. Yeah. I just want to say this has been absolutely great. Yeah, on, yeah, same. I really enjoyed this. It's been super great talking about Zelda again. <laughs> I just want to play it now. I know, <laughs> yeah. Talking about it. Uh, all right. Uh, okay, do you have an online presence if people want to check out your artwork or anything like that? Uh, I do have a page. Um, this past year has been pretty hard for me emotionally, so I haven't really been on top of my art. Um, but I do plan on bringing it back. So I do have a Facebook page. Um, my name's Caitlin Snyder on Facebook. Caitlin Snyder Art, I'm pretty sure, is what my page is called. So yeah, people can follow me there. I also have um, Instagram, which I will also make more active. Uh, it's Kate V. Sny. Uh, so K8 and then SNY, uh, V before the SNY. Okay. So yeah. Okay, right on. Uh, and then as far as uh, what I have to say, I'll save that for the housekeeping section. Um, we uh, we couldn't we couldn't decide on what song to play for this episode at this point in time. So uh, if you can message me at some point yep. before I put this episode out, yeah, yeah, then I will too. I will credit whomever is uh, selected in the housekeeping. Uh, thanks guys for listening. Um, at this point, you are dismissed. But if you stick around for the housekeeping, then you get to uh, hear some credits. And uh, if you want to take some action, that'd be great. But we'll we'll get to that. And um, have a good night. Bye. <laughs>
Welcome to the housekeeping. Did you enjoy that track? That is a Dragon Roost remix by Moonwallow. The link is in the show notes. Uh, it's not Moonwallow, it's Dreamwallow, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, that's by Dreamwallow. The links for his music will be available in the show notes. The Highland is a fan-made podcast. The Highland is a podcast made... Wait a minute, why don't I just use the recording use from last time? That was the only other part I had to say. The Highland is a fan-made podcast. It's made by fans for fans, and it is, was, and always will be free. But if you are inclined to show some support, that would be fantastic. You can go to my Patreon at Tiny Enemy Shrimp. That's T-I-N-Y-E-N-E-M-Y-S-H-R-I-M-P. And I am a professional podcaster, so you are more than welcome to view my other content. But please be advised that while the Hylian is a family-friendly podcast, it's basically the only one they do that is. So you've been warned. You can also find the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all of those. And if you have the time, you can leave a review and a rating. And if you want to get in touch with the show, maybe you have a track of your own you would love to feature on an episode or you would like to ask a question for our next mailbag. You're more than welcome to do those as well. So you can email the Podcast at gmail.com. That'll be all.